Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. I also serve churches in the areas of pulpit supply, conferences, retreats, and revivals as the Lord provides opportunity. If I can be of service to you or your ministry, I would love to hear from you. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 5, verses 27 through 32. And our Lord is speaking in regards to the seventh commandment. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let her let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we do come before you today. I just ask that you would bless this time that we have together, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us. And Father, you know the needs that are represented on both sides of this microphone. I ask, Father, that you would meet them according to your riches and glory, that you would minister to us in, and your will be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The seventh commandment, according to Exodus chapter number 20, is thou shalt not commit adultery. It just means that married people are not to have relationships outside of marriage. However the, however, the Lord here in Matthew describes adultery as more than just marital infidelity, more than just the physical act. It's, it's a sin of the heart and of the eyes. Now, before I even begin to proceed on the issue of adultery, I want to interpret the text in its context, okay? We're reading from the Gospel of Matthew, and we have to remember that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the Gospels. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, is coming, speaking to a Jewish people about a Jewish kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven. John came preaching from the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This Messiah, this Jewish Messiah that came to these Jewish people, offered the Jews a Jewish kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now we know that ultimately that kingdom was rejected. And when that kingdom was officially rejected, uh, he raised up the Apostle Paul who went to the Gentiles. So no longer was the gospel of the kingdom preached, but then the gospel of the grace of God began to be taught by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Romans through Philemon, um, and again I can break that down even further. There's a lot of uh, a lot of conversations we can have in that regard. But the bottom line is, uh, while Matthew was written for us, it was not written to us. So we have to remember we got to keep it in the context. Our Lord here, the Lord Christ, is warning the house of Israel against playing the adulteress like they did in the Old Testament, and God had to send them away into captivity. Okay, that is the interpretation of the passage. He's warning the house of Israel against worshiping other gods like they did in time past. And he warned them that in the kingdom of heaven, when it is established, it will not be tolerated. 
However, the Bible does have a few things to say to the church in regards to adultery. Okay, and that's what I want to talk about. In verse number 28, But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman. Okay, adultery is committed by looking. It all starts with a look. Second Samuel 11, 2, And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And we know this woman was Bathsheba, and the woman was beautiful to look upon. It started with a look. And then also adultery is committed by lusting. Lust is something that we all struggle with. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15, We're warned, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he's going to give us three things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world is going to pass away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. So lust is real. Okay, and adultery is committed by lusting. Second Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Okay, covetousness can be lusting. It's wanting something that's not yours, uh, not for you to have. Okay, lust of the flesh, wanting things, passions, lust of the eyes, uh, possessions, and the pride of life position, wanting things that are not meant for you. And we all struggle with lust, but then that does not excuse us from acting upon it. There's a difference between being tempted and being moved to action. Okay, being tempted is not a sin, but when we give in to the lust, at that point, it becomes sin. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> in your Bibles in uh, James, and I'm going to turn over there uh, very quickly, in James chapter number one, I do believe, um, it says, let no man, in James chapter 1, 13, let no man say that when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted, listen, when he is drawn away of his own lust. So the lust is what brings about the temptation and enticed, and then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So again, adultery is committed by lusting. And then thirdly, adultery is fueled by the flesh. Okay, James chapter 113, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, adultery is fueled by our flesh. Okay, and when we're tempted, it's not God's fault. <laughs> okay, God does not tempt any man with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone okay uh, james told us when but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed in galatians 5 verse number 16 i say then walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would the bottom line is if you walk in the spirit you're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh but if you don't walk in the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. you got to feed the Spirit. If you feed the flesh, the Spirit is going to lose. If you feed the Spirit, the flesh is going to lose. Okay, Romans 6, the Apostle Paul said, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. And what that means is don't let sin have the preeminence or the dominance over you. That you should actually move forward and obey 
the lusts thereof. Adultery is fueled by the flesh, so don't feed it. Okay, so we see first that adultery is committed by looking, and then after you look, it's committed by lusting, and then it's fueled by the flesh. And then fourthly, adultery is committed in the heart. Uh, notice back in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28 again, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon a woman, there's your look, lust after her hath committed adultery with already in his heart. You see, and Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 verse 21, from, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts and covetousness and wickedness and deceit, lewdness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and are what defile a man. So adultery is committed in the heart. It begins first in the heart. It happens by fueling the flesh. It happens by looking. Okay. And, and it happens by lusting. And then the next thing, adultery is controlled by mortifying the flesh. The word mortify means to kill. That's what he's saying here, I believe, in uh, Matthew 5, 29. And if thy right hand offend thee, or thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. The point is that if you had to choose between destroying a part of your body that was causing you to sin and spending eternity in hell, you'd be better off destroying that part of your body that was causing you to sin. We, you and me, must mortify the deeds of the flesh. How? Through the Spirit. You see, Paul told the Romans in chapter 8, verse number 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, or if you, if you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay? So the bottom line is we need to mortify. mortify. We need to kill the flesh. Okay? Uh, this is the self-control that comes in, into view here. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means that I preach to others I myself should be a castaway. The way we mortify the flesh, I mean, I don't, the Lord is not telling you, go cut your hand off or pluck your eyeball out, okay? The Lord is telling you, keep your body under subjection, okay? Kill the flesh. That's what he is saying, mortifying the flesh. And then, uh, number six, adultery is caused by unscriptural divorce. Now, I can only find three scriptural reasons given in the Bible for divorce, okay? Because if you notice verse 31 through 32, here in Matthew chapter 5, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. So adultery is caused by unscriptural divorce. Now, if you look in the Bible, now I know today we get divorced for all kinds of reasons. Uh, most of them are chalked up to uh, unreconcilable differences. But understand, in the beginning, it was not so. Okay. Uh, the only scriptural grounds for divorce 
is death. There's three of them. Death, adultery, and abandonment or desertion. Death, 1 Corinthians 7.39, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So if one of the partners die, the other partner is free to remarry as long as it's in the Lord. What that means is make sure you're married, you're equally yoking yourself or you're marrying another Christian. Okay. Um, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what, ha- what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So the first scriptural reason for divorce is death. If one of you dies, the other one is free to remarry as long as they marry a believer. Uh, the second reason or scriptural reason for divorce in the Bible is adultery. Okay, Of course, we have Christ's words here in Matthew 5, 32, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. See there? Saving for the cause of fornication. Our Lord is saying that even though Moses allowed divorce, and he did in the Old Testament, he allowed them to give a certificate of divorcement. But the Lord says in the beginning, it was not so, that was not my desire. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. Um, it, it, adultery, um, you know, I mean, that wasn't God's plan at all, at all. And please understand that adultery was the only justifiable reason given in the Old Testament for divorce. Okay. Uh, of course, if somebody dies, I mean, it's not really like you're getting a divorce. I mean, the person's gone, but you do have to go through the paperwork or whatever and remarry. But adultery is a totally different matter. Now, adultery wasn't that big of an issue in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, it was quite simple. If one party committed adultery, the, 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 the offending party was put to death. In Leviticus 20, verse number 10, And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Both of them were killed. Well, default, death. You can remarry, okay? (laughs) Um, This is what is so interesting about the event that's recorded in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And we can look at that real quick. John chapter 8. And verses 1 through 11. Because it says, And Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they set her in in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. In other words, she was caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that such be stoned. Uh, Now they're referring back to the Mosaic Law, Leviticus, like I just read. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have something to accuse him. They wanted him to contradict the law of Moses, which the Lord was continually accused of. But he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up, lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. 
And again he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground. And then they which heard it, being convicted by their own consciences, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. What's interesting here is that the Pharisees brought a woman before the Lord and said she was caught in the very act. Question is, where was the man? Because according to Leviticus, both of them were to be put to death. Okay, And many people suggest that our Lord might have written the name of the man who was among them that she was caught with. Okay. Um, be that as it may, today in the days and in the days of our Lord, we do not stone people for this offense. Even in the days of our Lord, you know, uh, the Romans had taken the scepter of authority from the Jews. They didn't have the authority to kill Christ. Uh, and if they had stoned the woman, they would have been brought up on charges for murder under Roman law. So they didn't have the authority to kill this woman, but they wanted Jesus to give them permission to do it so that they could blame it on him. Uh, and today, same thing. We can't kill people for committing adultery. You know, if your wife goes out or your husband goes out or somebody else's husband or wife goes out and commits adultery, we're not all going to line them up against a wall and stone them in broad daylight. We'll all go to jail for murder. Okay? I mean, we just don't do that. I mean, ultimately, yes, God desires reconciliation. God wants both parties to man up, woman up, forgive each other, and move on with it. However, if that is not possible, and it rarely is, I do believe that an allowance has been made for separation and remarriage for the unoffending partner in the New Testament. Um, why? Well, I can point to a couple of things because it divides the one flesh mentioned in Genesis. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Well, when an adulterous relationship takes place, that one flesh is, is uh, divided. Paul speaks to this in Corinthians when he says, What? Know ye not that which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Okay, that's 1 Corinthians 6.16. Also, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.10.11, And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she departs, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. In other words, God doesn't want divorce. If one person leaves, he would rather that they, they not remarry, but that they come back together, reconcile the relationship. But I believe based upon this, God does allow it, uh, but it is not what he prefers. And I think there's consequences to it. You know, uh, I think there's qualifications for leadership in the body um, that will come into question, you know, if one moves on like that. But so it's not God's desire, but we do see uh, death as a reason for a divorce we see adultery as a reason. And the third one and the last one we see is desertion. Okay, desertion. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 12, uh, we see this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 15, it says, it's the Apostle Paul, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And if the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, 
let her not leave. And so if a married, if some, if, if there's a Christian in a marital relationship with a non-Christian, don't divorce them over that. If the non-Christian is content to stay, let them stay. And then it says, why? For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they're holy. But he says, if the unbelieving depart, so you wouldn't expect the believing to do it, you know, because they're following the Lord and they're obedient, right? But if the unbelieving decide to leave, let them go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. And I believe that under these circumstances, remarriage is permissible for the one uh, that was left. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, same chapter, verse number 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek, seek not a wife. So if you're married, don't try to get unmarried. If you're unmarried, don't try to be married. But if you do marry, thou hast not sinned. So, I, I, I mean, it's pretty simple there. Uh, it, it's not sin. It's not sin. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. I mean, you will have problems. There are problems when it comes to <laughs> marriage. And Paul talks about how that a single person is able to serve the Lord a lot more efficiently and effectively uh, than a married person. Because a single person cares not for a husband or wife, but only, only cares for the will of God to be done in their lives. That's all the time that we have for today. Remember always that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.